0: High looking, deep
1: pattern, downfield,
0: touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devontae Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins' official podcast network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? It is... Tuesday, and I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football, and on today's show... We are going to welcome in the venerable, my guest today, Brett Coleman, the host of the Film Room on YouTube. We're going to talk to him about this Dolphins defense, the personnel, the coaching, the scheme, and how all that married up to make a top six scoring defense this year in the National Football League. We'll talk about that, get a little bit into the Shrine Bowl. Dolphins will be coaching at that with a few coaches, as well as the Senior Bowl. All of that and more on this Tuesday, January the 19th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And the Senior Bowl starts next week as rosters are being finalized with Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl. He has been tweeting out position groups for both teams. One, of course, that the Dolphins will be coaching in that game on Saturday, January the 31st. The other for the Carolina Panthers, who also coach the Senior Bowl. Plus, Since we last talked, it was announced that Dolphins defensive backs coach Gerald Alexander, linebackers coach Anthony Campanelli, and Brendan Farrell, an assistant coaching staff up on the defensive line, will be coaching this week at the Shrine Bowl. And I just can't get enough of that type of news as we continue to get good, up-close looks at prospects with projections in all rounds of this coming April's draft. And it's especially beneficial in an offseason that promises to, like last offseason, be a bit different than we're used to. But looking at the Shrine Bowl roster, go back every single year, you can point to one or two guys on that list that winds up in Pro Bowls perpetually. Each season. So there's definitely some players to keep an eye on at that Shrine Bowl. Of course, last year we drafted Malcolm Perry in the seventh round, who had one touch in the Shrine game and ran it for 52 yards for a touchdown. So keep an eye on that coming up this weekend. Speaking of the Senior Bowl and the Combine and the different looks of getting a look at prospects this offseason, Albert Breer wrote a story over the weekend about some potential changes to the Combine that we could see this year, with the biggest one being the absence of a central gathering place, i.e., Indianapolis, So check that out up on sportsillustrated.com. Albert Breer wrote the story. And before we get to my guest, how about that divisional round weekend? I think dubbed the best football weekend for the National Football League of the season because you typically get four pretty good games, at least three or two really good games. I thought we had two that were just, you know what? I'm going to say there were three games that I was really clued in on. The defensive battle between Buffalo and Baltimore. I can watch a 17-13 game every single day of the week and leave the 50 to 40 battles somewhere else. Those aren't not for me. I love the fact that every aspect, every element, every play is important. Defense, special teams, offense, coaching, decisions, all that stuff. I love when every single play is magnified to the utmost importance. And I think you only get that in those defensive battles as the Buffalo Bills take that one and wind up heading to the AFC Championship game where they're going to face the Kansas City Chiefs who pulled off that late win. They're without their starting quarterback in the lineup, Chad Henney, man, on that third and 14 rush where he picked up 13.5 yards before the fourth and one conversion there a Tyreek Hill, which was the same looking play the Chiefs ran against the Dolphins back in week 14 to convert and move the chains and eventually get that field goal that put us down by two scores in that game. But man, that was a fun game to watch because with with Henny in there making those big plays and the the Browns offense, you just kind of always thought that Baker Mayfield was going to find a way to get that offense into the end zone and get that late lead, get that late steal of the victory there. It didn't happen. Now we have Kansas City and Buffalo in the AFC Championship game. Over on the NFC side, that game from the Packers and Rams just never really felt like it was in danger for the Packers, who right now at this point to me seem like, Not a flawless team. Nobody's a flawless team, but man, they are clicking on all cylinders. And then the Tampa Bay and New Orleans game... What a career for Drew Brees, if this is the end for him. Of course, he said he's going to make his decision at a later date and announce that when he has that decision for us, but that was some of the speculation beforehand. And if this is the end for Drew Brees, what a friggin' career it was for him as Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go on to face the Packers in that NFC Championship game. That's a good-looking slate of championship games next Sunday. Let's go ahead and finish up here and get to my guest for this podcast. It is, after all, a Dolphins podcast here, the Drive Time podcast on the Miami Dolphins podcast. podcast. Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and welcome in Brett Coleman. And writing shotgun now on the Drive Time podcast is one of the best analysts in the game. You can find his work on his YouTube channel. It's called The Film Room. Over a quarter million subscribers getting close to 300,000 subscribers. That's crazy. Make sure you hit that subscribe button after this on his YouTube channel. He is Brett Coleman. Brett, what's up, man? Long time no talk.
1: Yeah, happy to be back. I haven't talked dolphins in a while. I think it was,
0: it might have even been before last draft we last talked, I think.
1: I, I think so, somewhere around there. I think we were talking about Tua a, a lot, ironically.
0: <laughs> that was our guy. That was definitely our guy. And we, we got him. He's here. He's signed, sealed, delivered. But we're going to talk about the other side of the football here today because, and before we get into this, you had a tweet back in early September that was perfect. It was it was absolutely perfect. We're going to cover that here in just one second. But first, I want to have the the audience here kind of get to know you. I think we're going to hopefully have you on more brett i would love to talk to you more because i really respect what you do he does these these full feature episodes where he goes in depth and breaks it down and gives you both sides of the story it's very very analytical very objective it's the film room on youtube brett it's it's my favorite youtube channel there is personally i mean i watch i watch them all i learn a lot that's the number one thing i look for in football content is learning so i'm curious brett where like Tell me your origin story, because I know you told me a little bit about, you know, how the channel got popular and what you were doing before that. Like, just give us a little bit of background to who you are and and where you got or how you got to this stage of your career.
1: Yeah, I actually um, I started out working in the production side over at NFL Network. I was there for five years and the channel started out as kind of a proof of concept for my producers there. I was not intending to actually be you know, the, the presenter of it, I, I wanted to produce basically these kinds of segments, but, you know, for LaDainian Tomlinson or, or, you know, Willie McGinn, any, any one of those, uh, you know, established hall of fame, you sure. know, NFL players, I wanted to just basically like, here's the film, here's the stats, you know, let's do deep dives into topics A, B, and C and how they all relate to each other, you know, 15 minute segments, stuff like that. Um, and the feedback that I got there was absolutely true, which is that format is not great for television, which is more bite-sized type sure, content. Sure. Uh, and so, but th- these episodes that I was making to show my producers like, hey, here's kind of what I'm thinking so you can kind of visualize it. Those ended up getting popular out of nowhere. Uh, and I would only put one out maybe every two or three months if I had an idea that I wanted to pitch. And then all of a sudden I had, 11,000 subscribers for something I barely even did. And my wife looked at me one day, or at least my now wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, and she said, you know, you're not even trying here, and you're building a following. What would happen if you actually tried and did this full-time? Uh, and uh, I, I spent three months building up, you know, a catalog of content to release in draft season. I think it was a 2017 draft. My last day at NFL Network was the day before the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl, Dove into YouTube full time after that, and uh, it's it's steadily grown ever since then.
0: So you said something there that is really intriguing to me, and we're getting you know kind of into the weeds here, but you said that your wife, or then girlfriend, now wife, was kind of saying, hey, look, you might have something here. I think for most people in in our positions, Brett, maybe the wife was not so on board. Like for instance, I used to have a website where I evaluated every pass from every quarterback, every drop back, and I built this thing. I designed it and put it all up. And it was like a six month long project. And I would go upstairs into my little office and get to work. And my wife was like, there he goes for three wasted hours. We're not going to ever get that time back again or you know, whatever. Maybe it wasn't as encouraging. That's that's awesome to hear that you had that and it, it worked out for you. It's successful. And like I said, man, best in the game. I, I learned so much from watching your stuff. And that's why I wanted to bring you on here today to talk about this Dolphins defense. Because I think I referred to a, a video you made last year regarding some free agent acquisition or some draftable player, and you broke it down in a way that was so beyond what we normally see from just the box score or like what a you know a generic ESPN level like mainstream type of you know scouting prognosis might say you gave us factual inside looks at the stuff so I wanted to to bring you on talk about this dolphins defense because if you go back to September, Brad, I've got the tweet right here, it was September 7th at two o'clock, and you said it was a you retweeted somebody who asked what's your possibly most out there prediction for the 2020 NFL season that you're actually half confident in. And you said Dolphins have a top seven or eight defense and have a winning season. And in this thread, I was looking at it just now, and you actually got some more positive feedback than I was expecting. Of course, there were some that called you crazy and an absolute lunatic for saying that. But it turns out Miami had the sixth ranked scoring defense, won 10 games this year. How did that prediction come into your mind? And how do you think it played out through the course of the season?
1: It just kind of seemed logical to me because when you looked at their last off season, uh, you know, they're coming off the first year under Flores who ran a, a very Patriot style defense, a lot of man coverage, uh, you know, a lot of really nice creative inventor, uh, inventive pressure packages um, a lot of multiple multiplicity in his fronts, but mostly sticking to odd fronts uh, rather than even fronts with a lot of three down stuff with linebackers moving all over the place and DBs and man coverage. And I, I looked at that and I was like, OK, uh, it works, but a, it, it takes a while for a defense to really hit its stride in that kind of system because you need the right talent to run it. Next thing you know, you know you pair Xavier, who I think was hurt in the first year pretty significantly. You pair him, you bring in Byron Jones, uh, you draft a kid out of Texas, uh, Brandon Jones, I believe his name is that I, I really like. You know, you bring it in Kyle Van Noy knows this kind of system backwards and forwards, and they, uh, you know, they they had some other young draft picks that I really really liked. Um, Strobridge, I saw him down at the Senior Bowl last year. Benito Jones, I saw him at the Senior Bowl. I, I like both of them a lot. Uh, Raekwon Davis out of Bamba, I thought was an absolute animal and they got him to play their nose position that turned out to, you know, kind of picked up where he left off this year. He was phenomenal for them. Uh, and then they still had Wilkins from the year before, who I think is a really good three technique. Agba actually overperformed what I, what I thought, but he ended up being a very good addition as well. And so I looked at this defense and I'm like, okay, you got really good corners. They could play man coverage. You have a front seven that can bring pressure and wave after wave after wave and a system that is going to emphasize those two things. What's the missing piece here? Nothing. So I was like, this is going to be a top 10 defense just on talent and scheme fit alone. And if you put Tua or Ryan, whoever was playing quarterback with some of the weapons that they had that I really liked, whether it was Parker, Gasicki, uh, any of those guys, I was like, there's really not a whole lot of holes on this team. Plus they're in a weaker division this year. It just seemed completely logical to me that they were going to be a great defense and overall really good team. And lo and behold, they were.
0: I had Miami down for 10 and six, but of course, if I say that, then, you know, it can't be trusted because I'm wearing a Dolphins hat right now as I talk to you (laughs) on this podcast. So that's why we got trying to get someone else. Maybe he's a little more objective here on the podcast. And I felt the same way you did, especially defensively with the things they wanted to do on defense and the pieces they had to match. And I think like you mentioned off the top, that all started with Xavier Howard, who was an all pro pretty much any publication you look at. And the one that actually counts the AP all pro first team, all pro out there, cornerback But man, Brett, I thought Byron Jones was, you know, he was damn good in his own right and doesn't have the ball production that Xavier has. so That's why he doesn't get the, maybe the big time publicity. But when you have those two cornerbacks that can play that way on the outside, like explain to the fans what that does as far as how it frees up the ability to do that zero pressure. Maybe it it frees up more flexibility for Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe, who were pretty much interchangeable at times this year. What does those two cornerbacks being on the field pretty much every snap do for the rest of the defense?
1: You know, if you have at least two corners that you know can hold up for two seconds and you're throwing a zero pressure at someone, meaning you got no safeties deep, no matter what, you're going to be overwhelming the pass protection with one extra guy who's going to get there in two seconds. As long as the DBs can hold up in that window, you're either going to force a throwaway, you're going to to force the quarterback to try to run to create something off schedule, or he's going to have to throw a ball perfectly under pressure deep down the field, which is easier said than done. It's, it's very hard to beat that look unless you have something special for it. We saw the bills had something special for it. I think it was week 17 where they brought in a wide receiver and protected with eight. uh, And then you had John Brown one-on-one. And I think it was Byron that gave up a touchdown on it, but, to be fair to him, he was squatting on the route as if it was going to be thrown in two seconds because that's what they're used to. And then John Brown just kept running. So there's ways to beat it, but you have to have a specific, perfect play call for it. Most teams did not. That's why they kept forcing turnovers. That's why they kept picking guys off, forcing fumbles. Agu was getting all these crazy sacks just because he was coming on blocks because they schemed a the butt for him. And it, it, it's such a, a nasty defensive look that honestly, most teams don't know how to handle. Uh, And they just did it week after week after week. And then as we saw the season go on, they started to show it and then drop out of it. And like, and then they kind of forced teams into, okay, now we're just going to protect with seven or eight. Then you drop out, have seven in coverage against two receivers. There's nothing there. And that ends the play by itself as well. So just kind of the mind games and how they built around those blitzes, specifically because they had the corners to make them work, I thought was just fantastic to watch.
0: A lot of fun. Like you mentioned, the disguise and the coverage, and, and you mentioned the, you know, forcing them into match protection, and then you drop out seven in coverage. The best example of that was a pick that Xavier, and he had 10 this year, so that you can pick your poison there, but he, a pick against the Chargers and, and Justin Herbert, where, you know, they played man coverage a lot in the game, and then they flip it and go cover three, and he's squatting, reading the quarterback, jumps out of that or drives out of that zone and gets a big-time pick there in the fourth quarter. And, you know, you look at Justin Herbert, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo I'm probably missing a couple others had their worst uh statistical days against this Dolphins defense and you know is that something that is sustainable do you build upon that like if the scheme is what the scheme is how do you as a coach continue to kind of revamp that or update that or build on that and continue to have that success like is it's you know I don't want to like get too too ahead of myself here but as there ways where an offense can say oh they do this here's how we counter that and beat that and how does Miami continue to like you mentioned build on top of that and, and keep it going
1: it's really all about self-scouting which luckily for Dolphins fans you have a coaching staff that's very very good at that in terms of okay assuming they're going to keep most of the talent going in the next year which I think they are just looking at contracts and personnel and things like that they're probably going to return most if not all of the same guys for next year so, you need to have a coach that's very good at looking at their trends of what they called last year. So, they were at man coverage at 54%, which was tops in the league. Their blitz rate was uh, also top five in the league. I believe it was fifth at 43%. So, if they look at those trends, they know that offensive coaches around the league are going to be looking at those trends too. And so, they need to start building in other looks off of when they were showing blitz off of when they were showing man and then kind of introduce those next season to make people think that they're going to just keep rolling out the same old stuff. And then you hit them with the counterpunch. You mentioned the pick from Xavier against Herbert. Exactly the same thing. You know, you show one thing. Next thing you know, Xavier's popping out over, you know, out of nowhere in the seam area and picking off Justin uh, completely out of left field. I remember that point because I watched the uh, the ends-up version of the All-22 on it, and I was like, wow, he just literally popped in out of nowhere. He didn't even see him. <laughs> so it, it's it's that kind of stuff. It's about self-scouting, recognizing the trends of the types of coverages they use, the types of fronts they use, their blitz percentages, and then just building in little things that show that and then do something else to make offensive staffs second-guess themselves. And then you can
0: also build in some more flexibility on top of that based upon – the type of, I guess, the type of front seven the Dolphins had this year, and that's kind of where I want to go with this next question for you, Brett, because you mentioned, you know, bringing in new pieces. This year we had Kyle Van Noy was a a free agent import. Jerome Baker was in his third season with the Dolphins. Andrew Van Ginkel his second season. We addie Landon Roberts. You get Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba into that mix as well. What did you make of this remade linebacker core and their ability to show that pressure in multiple gaps? and And is there anybody that does it better in terms of how this Dolphins defense? Gives simulated pressure looks in every single gap with the quarterback basically having no idea where it's coming from.
1: Uh, am I crazy or did Van Ginkle make at least one great play every yep. single game? Exactly. Like he was always good for one. You know, I remember in the in the Chiefs game, you know, he accidentally got knocked down and then stood up and then you know just threw his hands in the air and tipped it, and that was a pick, uh, one of the three picks they had on the day. But he was always in the right place, always at the right time very rarely made mental mistakes. And in this kind of defense, that's really what it's about. You know, it's that whole do your job mentality of like, Hey, just do what we tell you to do and and don't mess up your assignment. And we're probably going to have success as a unit. And they did. The only real guys in this defense that I feel like freelanced a little bit was Van Noy just because he knows everything about every single role in this system. And he knew what he could get away with. Uh, You actually saw a noticeable I don't want to say decline, but there was a little bump in the defense when he was out just because he is that kind of freelancing X factor in a defense that I think is, is very particular about what people do on the field. Um, but overall, I, I loved this whole linebacking court with how multiple they were, how disciplined they were, um, how creative they were, I mean, especially Kyle. I mean, my God, he, I think he had his best year as a pro this year. And that's saying a lot because he had some pretty good years up in new England. And then Baker, I think, has really, I mean, I liked him coming out of college, but he's turned into something else entirely for them. Uh, This is one of the better linebacking cores, I think, in the league, even though none of them are really garnering national attention, but just as a whole, I really, really like what I see.
0: I typically take notes throughout the podcast to kind of give myself reminders of what to ask you about or to to interject my own thoughts. It's hard for me because you mentioned Van Noy, who I'm so glad you said that because this guy continuously just – He does the work that doesn't show up in the box score, and I think that it's very valuable what he provides to this team, but maybe, like you mentioned, doesn't get the national recognition. You mentioned Andrew Van Ginkle's jump from year one to year two, watching that guy go in and beat blocks, whether it was split zone or you have a lead guard pulling in his face, and he found a way you know, at 240 to to beat those types of blocks and get in there and make an impact in the running game, and you also mentioned Jerome Baker, who, for my money, just... I mean, the the pressure he puts on opposing passing games with his blitzing ability in those A-gaps, whether it's forcing a running back to come pick him up or to force the quarterback off his spot, I just thought all of those guys were invaluable for what they did this season. And it helped produce the number one third down defense in the NFL, just under 32% conversion against this Dolphins defense. And it got the Dolphins 29 takeaways, which also led the National Football League one of the things that i i sometimes i guess worry about in my paranoid fan type of perspective brett is you look at some of the great defenses over over time and not saying this defense was you know the 2000 ravens or the 85 bears or, or the 2002 buccaneers but when you have those dominant defensive years it seems like sometimes you can kind of get that that dip back down in production because takeaways are difficult to replicate. But when it comes to third down defense and takeaways, how was Miami inherently able to to be so good in both those areas, and how do they keep that train rolling next year?
1: I've always looked at the defenses that that major in turning the ball over. You know, the the 2018 Bears, uh, the early 2010s Texans. Uh, you know, under Wade Phillips, that just produced a whole bunch of turnovers. Um, you know, the, the mid-2000s Bears as well that, that had a bunch of it. It's it's all about mentality and effort because tipped balls are going to happen. You know, random fumbles are going to happen. Like, sometimes you don't even try uh, to, to, to put yourself in a perfect position. You're just executing a normal assignment, and the quarterback just doesn't see you and just throws you the ball. Do you catch it? Are you there within five yards of a tipped ball to dive and get it? You know, are you in the exact right spot? You need to be on a fumble to recover it. It, It's a lot of people say, oh, it's about luck. Yeah, it's about luck. But you have to have the effort to put yourself in position to be lucky if you're not showing effort, if you're not flying to the football, you know, if somebody's holding a guy up and you're not punching at the ball before the whistle's thrown on forward progress, guess what? You're not, you're not going to force turnovers. And I'm not saying you're good to do it every time, but every once in a while, if you're punching at the ball in every single play, you're going to pop one out. So it's about effort. It's about a swarming mentality. And I truly believe that the defenses that are quote unquote lucky at getting turnovers make their own luck. Like it's, that is the difference, I think, between 29 takeaways and 15, is just having the mentality to swarm the ball.
0: And from the first day of training camp, we saw these guys, They, the ball would be on the ground. They would sprint over to it and pick it up, and it just kind of developed that, that mindset of the football is the most important, even if the whistle blew, go get the football, because you never know at the end of the day, it might put you in position to make a play in that way. I want to go ahead and finish up as far as the Dolphins' kind of defensive roster overview here, because we didn't touch on a pair of guys that I think – are underrated in what they do, and and Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain, and you know, I've referenced this in the podcast before. One time, Daniel Jeremiah does a great job on the Move the Sticks podcast, and he had brought up these principles that Belichick had way back when on the Patriots defense, and one of the things was that at safety, one of his notes was look for converted cornerbacks, guys, that can that can cover and go back into the safety position and also roam back there and play two high, play single high, whatever it might be. And the Dolphins did that with Eric Rowe in 2019 at the fifth game of the season, and Bobby McCain began the season as a free safety after playing nickel and outside cornerback his entire career. What do you make of those two guys and how the Dolphins were able to transition these two pretty much lifelong cornerbacks into productive safeties?
1: I really love how they've kind of carved out very specific roles for these guys, particularly Roe, at least for most of the year, was the tight end eraser. You know, Travis Kelsey gave him issues, but to be fair, Travis Kelsey gives everybody issues. I don't really (laughs) hold that against him. For most of the year, he was kind of their answer against big body, quicker receiving tight ends. And he practices against Kosicki every day, so he gets a lot of good reps against guys that are that physically talented. That's a
0: fun matchup to watch every
1: day, by the way. I'm jealous that you get to watch it every day because I would love to see the practice tape of those two guys jumping 40 inches in the air after the same ball. But you know, it's, that's, I think a perfect role for him. And then McCain talk about a guy that doesn't get enough national credit one of the better free safeties in the league that can also bump down and play in the slot if they need him to most of the time they didn't, but he can absolutely do it. And I think what's, what's kind of heartbreaking. I I don't want to, you know, sour the mood to people listening to the podcast too much, but when you look at the entire season, there are two plays that I think kept Miami from making the playoffs. They both happened in the chiefs game. Uh It was the first time McCain got hurt. Tyree got the ball around the edge. And uh, he made everybody miss, but McCain was not on the field for that one play because he had to go out. And then it was the this was in like that twenty-one point you know scoring frenzy. And then a couple plays later, uh, you have a deep post from Tyreek, where again McCain got hurt again. Uh, I can't remember if he came back in again a second time, but uh, Clayton Fegulam, I think is how I pronounce his last name. He was in for that one snap. They were playing a two-high shell. And again, it's like his first snap in the game. He's not used to Tyreek's speed. He takes two steps forward, and Tyreek runs out by him for a deep post-touchdown against a coverage that honestly should not allow that play. And if McCain was in, probably would not have allowed that play. And then that's that was the difference in the game was those two touchdowns with Tyreek, where McCain, unfortunately, not even his fault, was not on the field. And then when you look at the end of the season, if Miami won that game, which they probably would have without those two plays, they would have made the playoffs. So I think the fact that McCain is that good of a free safety where him missing two snaps in the season is the difference between making the playoffs and not tells you a lot about how great he is. And he got
0: dinged up later and, and, and played through the injuries and played through some of the pain there as well late in the season too. So, so much respect for that guy. He's been a leader here in, on this team for a long time now. And I know that he has the respect of the coaching staff and his teammates alike. So Brett, it sounds like we have a future episode coming up on the film, on, on the film room on the film room because, you love this defense so much. Are we going to get that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Sometime in the summer for sure. Um, you know, probably once we're in May and June and I, I get a little bit more time to actually really, really do a deep dive. I'm talking like a 20 plus minute episode because there's a lot to go over when it comes to covering these guys. But uh, it, it, they're really fun. I, I think you guys are going to like
0: it. Yeah, when you do that, we'll have to get you on the podcast here and promote it and, and get your takes as well to to give us some content and give you some content as well, Brett. We really appreciate your time today, Brett. He is the, the host of The Film Room on YouTube at Brett Coleman. That's two T's, two L's, and two N's, right, Brett?
1: Yeah, trust me. I <laughs> I hear all the different kinds of spellings for it. <laughs> <laughs> Too good, brother. Well,
0: thank you again for your time today, man. It's It's good stuff. The Film Room on YouTube and of course, Brett Coleman on Twitter. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And away he goes. Every time he comes in the podcast here, every time he speaks, we learn something about football. Brett Coleman, The Film Room on YouTube. We'll get him back on the podcast throughout the course of the offseason and talk some Dolphins football with him. He's a very knowledgeable guy. Again, go check out his YouTube channel and subscribe. Watch all the episodes. You will learn something about football. All right, guys, that's going to be my time on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Two episodes per week now, up until we get cranking back full-time here with some more stuff to talk about, like free agency and the draft, down the line. We'll get there eventually, but right now it's still January. We'll have another episode this week with Brandon Thorne of Establish the Run. He has a great... Uh, scouting eye for offensive line, front seven, and all that stuff. And he writes great analytical work for them, as well as his Trench Warfare, where he grades the quality of pass rushers throughout the course of the NFL. We'll talk about that with him, Emmanuel Ogba, and this Dolphins offensive line later on this week. In the meantime, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. And until next time, fins up.